Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Joining us is Mike DeHusky. Mike is the superintendent at Shelter Harbor Golf Club, a splendid 27-hole facility in Charlestown, Rhode Island. Mike is going to discuss agronomic life at a high-end golf course located in coastal Rhode Island. But before we get going with Mike, we're excited to announce that we're partnering with Bear to tell the story about how superintendents like Mike can provide spectacular conditions. In the June issue of Golf Course Industry, you can read about how Bear's stress guard portfolio is helping Shelter Harbor flourish. As a company, Bear is helping its customers thrive by providing technical expertise and innovative solutions to maximize turf quality and make superintendents' jobs easier. To learn more about how stress guard helps redefine ordinary, visit environmentalscience.bear.us backslash stress guard. Now on to our conversation with Mike. Well, Mike, it's great to have you on the podcast. I know you're busy preparing for the summer golf season. The first thing we need to get out of the way here is explain Shelter Harbor Golf Club to somebody that doesn't know much about it. So Shelter Harbor Golf Club, first and foremost, is a member-owned private equity club, 350 golfing members, and it's strictly a golf club, so no tennis, no pool. People come here to play golf, dine, and also have a fitness facility people use. Golf club is the first golf club that was constructed in Washington County, Rhode Island, in over 100 years. So that's pretty unique to the, the place. Uh, very vast property, over approximately 500 acres of all open space, kind of to preserve the land around here and the natural environment of the area. Um, the course came about because there was a possibility of a power plant going in and people around the area wanted to preserve the integrity of the area and it turned into a golf club. That's how Shelter Harbor Golf Club came about and opened in 2004. It's a Hurst and Fry design. Um, the vision was pretty much to be a private traditional club with uh, really protecting the environment and minimalistic, natural look to the golf course. How well does that philosophy fit with the, the Rhode Island landscape and where you're at? I think it fits very well uh, with some of the features of the golf course. Uh, the topography out here is, for a coastal course, is pretty radical. Um, you know, the low point of the property is probably 100 and, 105 feet uh, above sea level to the clubhouse, which is almost 200 feet. So we have some good elevation change for a coastal property, which uh, is very all over the place. We have wetlands, we have wooded areas, we have big kind of open, lengthy areas, and a lot of glacial boulders that add to uh, a lot of the definition out here and kind of texture of the whole property, which is unique. How cool is it for you and your team to have all those different views on a daily basis? It sounds like you could be staring at one thing, one hole, and something completely different on the next hole. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's, it's, a, it's a great place to work where visually you can just see a lot of different things. It's, um, it's a fun property to come to work every day, actually, and see, you know, there's places you can see the ocean from the, the, the high points on the course, and then there's other areas of the course where you feel like you're deep into the woodlands in Rhode Island. So it's uh, a lot of microclimates throughout the property, a lot of uh, really different different areas and different feels to it. Mike, how does somebody 
from Pennsylvania with a turf degree end up in Rhode Island? So I grew up in Pennsylvania, worked on golf courses since I was four, about 14, 15 years old. Myself and my brother, my brother's also in the turf industry. He's a golf course superintendent as well in San Francisco at Lake Merced Golf Club. So we both grew up around golf with my grandfather being a big avid golfer and my dad and uncles played a lot of golf. And we grew up working on golf courses and I kind of, I went to Marion Golf Club. It was the first big club I worked at in Pennsylvania. And kind of went from there, went from Marion Golf Club to Quaker Ridge in Scarsdale, New York. Went from Quaker Ridge to Shinnecock Hills and then ended up here in Rhode Island. So your brother's on the, the other coast. Do you and him talk turf a lot? And how does your environment in Rhode Island compare to where he's at in California? We talk turf a lot. I talk to my brother probably every day. And we couldn't be farther apart One, you know, coastal Rhode Island and coastal San Francisco. So ironically, a lot of similarities with uh, some of the cool coastal weather and the crazy weather changes. We just get a lot more rainfall and definitely warmer than he does. So you've worked at Marion, Quaker Ridge, Shinnecock Hills, and now Shelter Harbor. That's quite a quartet of East Coast golf clubs. For our listeners that haven't had a chance to, to work at those type of facilities, what is it like working day-to-day at an elite private club on the, the East Coast? Well, going to Marion, first of all, from, from with Matt Schaefer, I learned how to really do things at a high level and kind of succeed in what you're doing and be resilient and Matt always stressed kind of whatever it takes attitude and you know to get it done at whatever we got to do um so I learned to really work hard from Matt and learned a lot from Matt as far as work ethic goes um I would say the difference between a high-end club and your everyday club is kind of just what's expected day-to-day the conditioning you don't really have excuses because you kind of are given the resources to provide what's uh, expected. So you kind of have to just produce is, I'd say, the biggest thing that's different. You have a pretty big team. You have a very talented team. I believe you have more than 10 employees on your team with turf degrees. How would you characterize the people that work at Shelter Harbor, and what is it like having so much um, turf brain power with you on a daily basis? I think it's a fun environment. Uh, we try to really recruit turf guys and support the industry. And I think we've done a good job of that. Um, I think it all begins with recruiting of interns and providing a good place to work and really teaching them. And, you know, some of the things I do with interns is, like, one of the first things I do is to make a list of goals and make sure we're checking off those goals as they're here and learning what they want to learn and making it a good place for them. And in turn, we've had a lot of success with guys coming back and wanting to work here after internships. And we've built a, a team and that regard what it does is makes it just makes day-to-day operations a lot better when my regular staff is really good and has been here for you know the whole time I've been here for the most part a lot of the same seasonal full-time guys where the turf guys kind of rotate I think five guys have gotten superintendent jobs here in the last 10 years so there is somewhat of a revolving door with the turf guys but at the same time um it's it's a nice team atmosphere and everybody kind of works together to produce when you know what we need to for the members. How rewarding is it when one of your employees gets a head superintendent job? Uh, definitely rewarding seeing them put in the hard work here and the knowledge and be ready to take that step. And 
I'd say even more rewarding is seeing them go and succeed. Uh, the guys have done that have left here have all been doing a very good job places. That's probably most rewarding, seeing them do a good job somewhere. So you're very close to the coast. What are some of the agronomic challenges you have because of your location? I would say the biggest thing is the weather uncertainty and you know some of the things with the coastal environment, the salt air and wind. Uh, we can get... You know, we can get some wind storms that bring in some salt air pretty heavily, which is pretty interesting. Um, doesn't happen maybe every couple of years, but you may see a coastal storm come in where we don't really get much rain and you get wind and kind of salt burns all the trees, and you see it for almost the whole year then. It's kind of a unique thing. Um, being coastal, the weather here can change in 10 minutes. One minute it can be sunny and warm, and then a you know marine layer fog rolls in and feels like it cooled off 20 degrees. So the the biggest thing is the uncertainty in the weather and also being in New England coastal, which the winters can be pretty interesting. Either We either get a lot of snow or almost no snow, where ice and a lot of rain in the winter. So it can be different year to year. No year is ever the same at all. It seems like we have... Uh, one extreme to the other here. With that uncertainty in mind, how do you develop a year-to-year agronomic plan? I think the biggest thing you have to do is just be ready for anything the weather throws at you and be prepared to uh, kind of shift with the uh, conditions. Is that is that tough to do? I think a lot of people want pr- predictability in their life and maybe do similar things year over year. Was it, was it tough to factor that all into your decisions at first? I think so at first, but after a couple of years, you realize how different it can be. The first year here, I had flooding as soon as I got here, and then the next year was a drought and extreme heat. To you know, then I think the next year we had a ton of snow. So once you start realizing the variables, you try to uh, build a plan that kind of would prepare for the worst, and not necessarily execute that plan all the time, but have the resources and the things in place if we need to. You know, in all the podcasts I've done, I've never heard a superintendent say that he or she has experienced salt storms at their respective golf courses. What do you remember about your first Rhode Island salt storm? So my first year here, actually, we had a hurricane that came in, didn't rain at all, had probably, I don't know, 80, 90 mile an hour winds, took down a lot of trees, and one of the salesmen who kind of, when I first got here, he was in his 80s, great guy, learned a lot from this guy for the couple years he was around. He passed away, but he told me a lot of stuff about coastal Rhode Island where he grew up around here and how some of the storms were. And we had that storm, and he was like, watch, all the trees are going to turn brown and defoliate and from the salt air. And sure enough, it happened. And pretty interesting when one side of the tree has green leaves and the other side of the tree is all brown and the leaves are dropping from the salt air. It was kind of uh, definitely a thing I've never seen before. Do you and your team keep records of the climate and the year-over-year changes? And what is it like at the end of the year seeing how one year compares to the next? That's what's pretty eye-opening about it. So like this year being wet from even starting last summer to fall, um, we're almost at a yearly normal rainfall here for the year so far and we're not even middle of may so it's kind of crazy how you can go three years in a row where you have 
virtually no rain to almost verging on uh, rainforest at this point. So from what I understand, Mike, you're, most of your members are there June, July, August. It's a, it's a summer place. It's a place where people maybe have second or, or third homes. What type of conditions are you trying to provide during that, that peak period? So we try to provide firm and fast um, conditions, but most importantly, fun with that. Uh, so not, not tricked up and not too crazy where, you know, we get everything firm and fast, but it plays fun. And part of that is also the, the design of the golf course. It's very player-friendly, very easy to walk. Um, most of our members walk with caddies. Um, the fairways are huge. We have almost 50 acres of fairways, so very uh, easy off the tee. Uh, you can still miss the fairways, but at the same time, it's very friendly off the tee. It's, it's really a second-shot golf course where it gets more difficult. But at the same time, a lot of holes where you can run the ball in and kind of play a ground game, which is fun. How do you get the firm and fast? I mean, it's pretty wet this year. I'm sure it's been wet in past years when the weather doesn't give you exactly what you need. What are some tactics you and your team can use to, to get those conditions? So a lot of the things are goes back to the membership supporting what needs to be done. Um, we've impl- implemented fairway top dressing program probably for the last six years. Uh, so even though when we get rain, uh, I can let carts out on the fairways. Very rarely are we cart path only ever. Usually only in the spring because of, honestly, just the rough areas that would stay a little wet. But the fairways will take water pretty well. And we also do things such as if we see rainfall coming and continuous rainfall, we spray penetrant wetting agents to try to move the water as much as possible. Try to anything we can do to minimize holding on to water up top. We roll fairways a lot, which keeps them on the firmer side, minimal with the water. Um, the sand provides a great playing surface on the fairways, firm, and there's not a lot of thatch. They're pretty firm underfoot, so I think all these things together keeps it keep it uh, what we need to, and no matter what the weather is. Shelter Harbor has velvet, bent grass, on its greens, that's not a variety you hear a lot about. What has it been like learning and understanding the velvet? So velvet bent grass is very unique. Not a lot of places have it. Uh, it used to be around. It was, when I first got here, kind of crazy. It does turn purple in the winter. You look at it, and you know, you're looking at a dark purple green, which is pretty crazy to see. Um, but in all honesty, it's been a great grass. It is very easy to maintain. You don't have to do a lot to it. Um, and when I say that, we're putting down a half to a pound of nitrogen a year on it. We only mow the greens two to three times a week. We roll them every day. We mow them, you can mow them extremely low. Um, our mowers are bench set at 080, and you know you could mow lower if you could take the mowers lower, but that's about as low as they get with the bed knives. Um, just a really tight surface that rolls very well and is easy to keep green speeds on. Very resilient to drought. Um, you can get the greens extremely dry. Um, I've had greens where you can barely get a reading on a moisture meter of any moisture in the greens. And not that you want to, they could take that for a long period of time, but it can take it for a day or two. So the greens are uh, very unique in that aspect. What was more shocking, seeing your first salt storm or seeing a purple green? 
I would say the salt storm, just because was uh, you know bent grasses can get a little purple here and there in the winter. It's just extreme seeing the whole green purple. But the salt storm when when everything's green out there and all of a sudden the the wind side is brown and burned was pretty pretty unique looking. What type of disease concerns are there in your part of Rhode Island, and how do you handle those? We can stay uh, very humid and stagnant at nights here. So I'd say one of the biggest things is uh, probably the highest dollar spot pressure I've seen out of anywhere I've worked. Um, with that being said, there's so many products now that are so good on dollar spot, and we roll fairways probably four days a week, and that was one of the biggest things that I would say is taking that pressure away, rolling the fairways continuously. Uh, I don't think I've seen real dollar spot on any fine turf here in probably the last eight years. Was preventing dollar spot the reason you started rolling fairways, or was it because of the playing conditions you were trying to provide, or a little bit of both? I actually, I actually started rolling for the dollar spot, but uh, you know, a side benefit of that is obviously playing conditions, which have just gotten you know with the sand top dressing and rolling, um, it's it's all kind of incorporated together, and I think keeps keeps everything where it's at and the firm fast and any kind of weather. In addition to a awesome 18-hole course, Shelter Harbor has a nine-hole course. How, how has that helped your club having that short course option, and what are some things your team does on that course maybe a little bit different than what you would do on the 18-hole course? So first, we, we, we maintain it the same as the main course as far as conditioning, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an awesome you know, a par three course that's, uh, I think it's about 1,200 yards long, 12, 1,300 yards long. So there's a good uh, variety of holes, I'd say, ranging from about 120 yards to almost 200 yards. It's a lot of fun. Anybody can play it. But at the same time, uh, a, couple of the, a couple of the tour pros we have that are members here actually spend a lot of time over there when they're here because it has a lot of roll-offs and a lot of chipping areas and a lot of unique and challenging holes that are – there's good elevation change over there for a uh, tight par-3 course. You have uphill, downhill, lots of holes with big runoffs around the greens where you can chip from different angles and hit different shots. So just a lot of fun. Um, and on the – side where a lot of kids and women play over there in the summer it gets a lot of use from kids and children and the kids clinics they run here at the club but at the same time they incorporate the part three course like into our big member guests for one of the matches um and it seems to be actually the hardest place to play the matches when when we have the tournament it's kind of it's hard to shoot a good score over there but at the same time, friendly and easy to play for anyone. So you have 27 holes spread out over this giant property. What is it like getting your people into the right places every morning? I think it's just being very well prepared and efficient with things and organized. Um, basically, we go over what we're going to do for the next day, and everything's laid out. And we kind of roll through the golf course all together. One of the things about the par three course is there are some homes around the one side of it, so there's a noise ordinance. So we prepare the main golf course, and when the main golf course is prepared, 
we kind of roll right into the par three and prepare that. So the team kind of stays together throughout the property. Um, and the main course is also two different towns, so we have two different sets of issues as well. The one town does not have a noise ordinance. The one does. So the front nine, we go out first, prepare that, go into the back nine, and then over to the par three course when our daily maintenance. And it's very spread out. You can be one side of the, co- of the course to the other in a cart. It'll take you 15 minutes to drive. Well, have you ever figured out how much labor is involved in just doing that, how many hours your team spends every year just driving from one point to the other? I've actually never figured in the actual driving time, but um, it's part of the we do do labor hours on things, and we try to have everything anybody could possibly need or use with them when we're out there kind of flowing as a team through the property because it just makes it uh, way more efficient. So you're getting ready to enter your 10th summer at Shelter Harbor. How rewarding and cool has this experience been, learning this property and getting to work with the people that you work with and getting to interact with some of the, the members that come there each year? Uh, very rewarding. The membership's great here. Uh, very good membership. Very supportive. Uh, a lot of great people that I've become friends with over the past 10 years. Uh, a fun golf course because... You know, being coastal, everybody wants to get to the beach. So one of the unique things is we have 6.30 twosomes go out. So we start extremely early here. That's one of the things that's hard to get used to. Um, where we're starting at, you know, 4 a.m. in the weekdays in the summer and 3.45 on weekends to stay ahead of play that twosomes are putting out on 18 at 8.15 usually. So we have to be uh, done early and out of their way and efficient. Okay, let's end this podcast by making everybody listening envious. How awesome is Rhode Island in the summer? Rhode Island's pretty awesome in the summer if you like the beach or like the fish at all. Uh, There's so much to do here. It is very quiet in the winter, and with, I think in the town there's probably about, I think it's like, I don't call it 5,000 people in here in the winter, and I think it can be as high as 25,000 people in the summer when there's events going on. And, you know, there's big campgrounds that are close. There's uh, a big old Navy base here. They turn into to have concerts and festivals all summer. Um, there's always something to do in the summer if you have some time off, which makes it a fun place. And, you know, the weather is just beautiful here in the summer. Well, Mike, it was great having you on the podcast. Thanks a lot for the time, and best of luck to you and your team this summer. Thank you.